Nancy Richards. SFM Literature it is. Thank you very much, Greg House, for the news. And uh, we're with you on SFM Literature for the next three hours. We being uh, in Johannesburg, Sulu Fellow Pelo and Babalwa Nduma. And down here I have Albert Clarsen with me. So, and we have you. So hopefully, if you'd like to give us a call, you're welcome. 0892102010. Well, SFM Literature, it's a show about words and writing and books and reading. And also about road trips and short stories and long stories and sad stories and prizes today, amongst other things. So let me give you a complete rundown uh, as we have it, uh, that we have the menu. Starting off with our hero item, and our hero book today is The Last Road Trip by Gareth Crocker. And he's woven an adventure around a whole group of oldies who take their chances on living life absolutely fully right to the end. Interesting one, that. After that, in our book club, uh, to cut a long story short, we'll be talking to Hello Dube about an innovative digital project called Long Story Short. So we'll check out, check that out and see what that's all about. Then in text, this one follows up on a query from a listener. We're looking at the question of filling in forms in the language of your choice. We'll be getting input from that from Professor Shihau Ngubani as well as Professor Mbulungeni Madiba. Um, uh, Professor Madiba is with PANSAL, that's the Pan-African uh, Language Board of South Africa. So if you've got thoughts on that one, maybe you've had issues around filling in forms in languages not your own, do let us know. Pop us a mail, uh, books at safm.co.za or pick up the phone, do it right now, 0892 10 2010. Then after the news at two, while they're starting off with the, the sad story in book two, Sam and Me and the Hard Pear Tree. It's a book by Jamie Yates Kastner and she tells a very sad and all too true story sadly of uh, losing a son before he's able to reach his second birthday but she has unpacked her feelings in her book so we'll be chatting to Jamie. In bookshelf our reader today is Wendy Sebabella and she we have actually spoken to her before and very chatty she is too so look forward to finding out what title that she is going to recommend to us. And then on our story item we've actually got two items in our story slot today. First, we'll be hearing about the Man Booker International Prize. The finalists were just announced right here in Cape Town. Very exciting. And we'll hear who they are from uh, the prize's administrator, Fiametto Rocco. And then we'll be talking to a real-life storyteller. In fact, he's a musical storyteller and poet. He's Gavin Bonner. He'll be coming live into the studio. Hopefully, he's got a bit of a tune for us. Then after the news at three, Roger Webster fans, pin back your ears. We're going to be hearing hearing a story actually about land uh, land distribution, so that should be interesting. And then in our back page feature, Every Child Deserves a Dictionary. Well, who would dispute that? We'll find out how it's planned to make that happen, to give every child a dictionary. We'll be chatting to the Oxford University Press, uh, his Stephen Siliers, and he is going to be telling us about the campaign where they aim to do that very thing. And close, as always, we have the Sunday play, and the play today is by Richard Nwamba, our very own Richard Nwamba. Then just a quick footnote for you. Last uh, week, or I think it may have been the week before, we gave away a book. It was called, um, oh, by Z.P. Dala. It's, um, I've forgotten the name, but it was something about Mira and, uh, Anyway, Margie Barry of Umflanga Rocks, uh, who was the winner of it, we, we don't have your address, Margie. We do have that, that you live in Umflanga Rocks, but we don't have your address. So if you're listening, why don't you give us a call? The number is 0892102010. Oh, it's called What About Mira? That's right. 0892102010. 0892102010. Calling Margie Barry if you'd like to give us your address. Or if you'd like to give us a call on any other issue throughout the next three hours, you're most welcome. <laughs> 
opening uh, SFM Literature with our hero book, and our hero book today is called The Last Road Trip, and it's been written by Gareth Crocker. Well, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Gareth Crocker. He's a man of many parts. He's a journalist, copywriter, news editor, public relations manager, publishing editor, and most recently he's also head of communications and spokesperson for a multinational uh, corporation, which makes you wonder when on earth he writes, but he's going to tell us about that just now. But he is also a writer. In fact, he's a writer of a number of very successful novels, so I think there may have been more prior to the success that were perhaps less than successful. Um, but as I say, his latest book is called The Last Road Trip, and it's the story of, well, it's the story of a whole bunch of slightly older people who decide that they're really going to live life. Gareth, are you there? Hello, hello. Can't hear Gareth. I know he's in the studio, but I can't hear Gareth, so... Uh. Yep. Can you hear me now, yep. Nancy? got you now. I thought I was talking to myself then. <laughs> but you could hear me describing you and all these very many jobs that you've been doing. I suppose one way or another, they've all been to do with the word and the written word. So all these things have, have led you to becoming a writer? Yes, Nancy. Um, what you read out there is kind of not what I'm, I'm currently doing per se. I think what I've, what I've been doing o over the last few years currently actually I divide my time between writing novels okay. and actually producing Africa's, you're going to laugh at this, but Africa's first superhero TV show. So it's a very interesting life at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's what's called job hopping. I bet your CV looks pretty interesting. So superhero TV show, goodness me. Let, shall we stay with writing novels for the time being? Just yes, before, let's do that. <laughs> before, we, before you change jobs mid-interview. Mid <laughs> um, I, I just want to ask you, uh, I, I was looking at your blog, and I think that you've had quite a lot of success, and hopefully you will have success with this one as well. But prior to that, you wrote quite a lot of novels that were less than successful. Did, give us the journey. Yes, I think when I started out, uh, Nancy, like anyone, um, you know, there's, a, there's quite a steep learning curve involved and uh, my first two or three attempts at writing a novel were pretty disastrous. Uh, but suffice to say, I eventually uh, came right with um, Finding Jack. That was my first published novel. Mm -hmm. And it's gone on to do good things. And just a quick sidebar sort of story. Um, I got an email two weeks ago from a, from a youngster in New York and evidently Finding Jack is a set work at their school. And Good so this, this this kid very kind, <laughs> I thought he had a lot of spunk, he said, you know, I've got this assignment on your book and I was just wondering if you'd do it for me. <laughs> so, so I thought it was a bit, of a, a bit of a laugh and it's a little naughty on my part. Yeah. I thought, well, let, let me do this. So I actually did his assignment for him. No. And I'm very pleased to tell you that we got 98%. <laughs> I hope we haven't got anybody listening from the States and don't divulge his name or he'll probably get thrown out of school. How perfectly resourceful of him. Um, I, I guess he deserves 100% for, for sass factor there, really. Uh, so that's Finding Jack. So that found its way onto a set work in the States. Yes, and it was actually news to me. It's not yeah. like I was formally told about hmm. it. Uh, the first time I heard about it was this uh, young guy contacted me. Does it? Uh, hopefully it reflects in your royalties in a healthy way. <laughs> Well, I don't know about that, but we'll see. The, I mean, well, obviously, if it's for the States, it doesn't need to be translated, but I think your, a number of your books have done well. In fact, didn't you and I speak not so long ago about your, your elephant book? Yes, Journey Through Journey Darkness. Journey Through Darkness, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Nancy. I, I remember our chat well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's done pretty well as well. It's also been picked up by um, Reader's Digest International, the American edition and the Russian edition, and a couple of more. So, yeah, very blessed at the moment. Things are going, hmm. going really well. Can you identify what the tipping point was was between the successful, the not so successful, the ones that you describe as not being so terribly good, and now? Did you have a did you have an epiphany and you thought, okay, I've got to change my tack here? How did it? How did things change? Yeah, I think um, 
what happened was I, I wasn't quite ready. You know, when I was younger, you know, it's typical of young people. You think you're up, up to the challenge and you, th you think you're pretty fantastic. And you send out your work to the whole world because um, what, I, what I did is I went through agents in the UK and, and uh, the US first and got a whole host of rejection slips and those just kept rolling in. And I'm not sure if there was a moment when everything changed per se, but for me it was... Um, kind of earning your school fees and getting to a point where you're, you're better at your craft. Um, I noticed with the rejection slips, I started getting kind of personalized notes of encouragement that said, well, you know what? This is better than the last trek you sent us. <laughs> but, um, you know, right, it's still slightly overwritten. It's still this, it's still that. And gradually, um, you know, things started to click, but it certainly was, was a journey. Overwritten. That's interesting because I think that can be a danger with, with first-time novelists. Of you've got to you've got to just get it all in there, and sometimes one just goes overboard because writers have sort of short little attention spans. They're not able to necessarily read. I just have to share this with you whilst we're doing sidebar things, Gareth. I had a, an email from Magaliso Ngobo who says. I'm a first-time writer who's had a manuscript accepted by a publisher for publishing. I've already received a quotation for this project, but I'm stuck because I don't have that kind of money at the moment. I was thinking of raising funds via the crowdfunding route. I want to know if this has been done in South Africa. Uh, do you have any contacts? Can you assist me? Um, any other suggestions as to how I can go about raising 15,900 Rand uh, that would be required for the publishing and the marketing? What was, when you finally got one accepted, how did you cope with that aspect? Sorry, Nancy, I didn't quite catch the end of that. Well, what he's wanting to know is obviously he's going to be charged for the, the privilege of having his book published um, and has to raise the money. Um, two things, I'm, I'm not really asking you to answer his question so much as, you know, when you got your book accepted for publishing, did you then have to pay for it? Um, no, I mean the traditional publishing route certainly isn't to to pay for your work. I know that a lot of people are, are going that route at the moment. Um, I think it is fraught with danger. You have you have many vanity publishers out there who are looking to capitalise on on writers who are obviously desperate to get their work published. That's not to say it can't be done successfully. I was actually at a festival yesterday, um, the SAIR festival, where I, where I gave a, a quick chat and. You can do it well, but I think you need to do your homework and find out who's who's involved and what they're promising in return for that money. You know, the big thing is if you want to get into the bookstores, obviously, um, it's going to be quite tough if you're an unpublished uh, author, perhaps not backed by one of the bigger publishers. So there certainly are challenges. Yeah. Mangali, so I hope you were listening to that. Um, we'll do our best to sort of come up with some answers, but I think it is a thorny question, and uh, I think it's, it's something that needs, once again, uh, a whole dedicated interview. Gareth, let's come back to your book, which is, after all, what we're here to discuss, The Last Road Trip. You know, we've had elephants, we've had Finding Jack, and now we've got this, The Last Road Trip. Where do you, how do you come up with the ideas for your book? I mean, this one, briefly, looking at the co copy on the back, following the death of a man they barely knew, five friends decide to make the most of what's left of their lives. I think I'm not going to say any more than that. <laughs> but how, how did you arrive at this one in particular? Um, partly it was working in the corporate world and realizing that you know so many so many people who have day-to-day -day jobs um, may may have nice offices they may work in lovely office parks but they're they're effectively prisons and I think a lot, a lot of us feel that and similarly I think people who are in retirement estates and so on even if they're reasonably affluent 
know, even even an exclusive five star retirement estate can can represent a bit of a prison, especially with regards to issues in your life, you know, unresolved things that you perhaps want to revisit. So, my inspiration for this this book actually was I was at a, um, a reader's sort of dinner. I was their prize. I can't imagine what second prize was, but anyway. <laughs> so I was sat next to this this lady in her eighties, beautiful, beautiful woman, and everyone around the table, all her family was saying what an absolute hellcat she is and they explained that um, they were on a family trip they were traveling down to the coast they pulled over at a um, at a petrol station and they all went to go fetch coffee and go to the bathroom and so on and she spotted a guy on a Harley Davidson so she just walks up to this guy and says wow really really loved the bike so he says oh that's very kind of you he said would you like a ride she says sure so she hops on the back of this Harley Davidson they go for a two-hour ride in the mountains she doesn't even have a helmet her family, meanwhile, think that she's been abducted and all sorts of horrible things have happened to her. She comes back happy as anything. And and evidently, this is just one of many, many stories. And here's a woman in her 80s really taking risks and, and living her life. So, you know, for me, the last the last road trip is really a story about people who've done reasonably well in their lives, that they're not struggling financially, and yet they've got many unresolved sort of issues in their life. And um, they decide to go on one last kind of epic road trip, a thousand-mile road trip together. Sure. I'm surprised you weren't tempted to to write the story about the lady in the Harley <laughs> Davidson. I mean, that's a sequel. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a great story. It, it's amazing, isn't it? I suppose you have to have your ears open at all times for possible or potential really good plots. So this one, I mean, yes, yeah, so you've sort of outlined exactly your thinking because right at the end of the book, or I think in, in the sort of um, uh, yeah, your author's note at the end, you you declare that this really isn't about necessarily about old people uh, living, the, you know, the last of their days it's really about getting out of the prison yes no very much so look it's um it's told through people who are approaching the end of their lives purely because for me that's the most poignant stage of our lives obviously and i'm i'm quite an old soul i mean i'm only 40 so i'm not particularly qualified to write about people in their 70s and 80s but um you know for me i, I lived a life where um, i worked for a fantastic company but i wasn't enjoying it and i i did feel like a prison and there's that yearning to be free of it. And I think that that's applicable to people's all walks of life doing all sorts of different things. And I think there are very few of us who are fortunate enough to do what they love. So that's a little bit what this book is about, is telling people, you know, no matter what your circumstances, if you can, try and change your life. Um, I was actually, I used to watch Gold Rush on Discovery. It's this, I don't know, for people who haven't seen it, it's these, these kind of amateur miners who start mining gold and so on. And they... It, actually spectacularly unsuccessful at times and they lose lots of money and so on but I was so compelled by the show and I couldn't work out why I loved it so much mm -hmm. and one day it dawned on me I loved the show so much because these guys were living their dreams I mean win or lose they were getting up in the morning excited to be, to be doing what they were doing and I was jealous of that and that actually sparked a whole change in my life which is why I write novels now and make superhero TV shows yeah I was going to say so it sounds a little bit uh, close to home so are you Very. living your dream now <laughs> yeah I think I am um, we've we very. I'm very fortunate. My company, my production company, uh, we're, we're very lucky. So, so it's it's a bit surreal at the moment, but we, we we're loving it. Yeah. Who needs to be a journalist or a copywriter? <laughs> and you could be living your dream, making superhero TV shows. I love it. Yes. Um. It's there's a clue in the book that you are not yet of the age of the people in it because their their conversation is quite snappy. And I'm thinking, when I say snappy, it's quite edgy. It's quite now. I'm thinking, gosh, look at these oldies. They've really got the like, the lingo. You know. So they. Really really living, living their, reliving their youth. But it all begins, you have to tell us the story of, of the opening story, because it's a rather, a rather sad story that opens it. Uh, can you just describe that? 
yes, a letter that a letter that gets read. Yes, of course, Nancy. Just just before I get onto that, just to go back to your point uh, that you just made, I think one of the things I dislike a lot is that. Um, books that are that are kind of targeted at slightly older people can be quite patronising. So I intentionally wrote the dialogue quite snappy because, okay. for whatever reason, I seem to hang around people <laughs> who are retired and so on. And my my experience of them is that they are sharp, they are underutilised, they are underappreciated. And this book really, really kind of delves into that a little bit. So anyway, so going to the start of um, the book, um, what happens is um, our title character, sorry, I'm, I'm crossing over into TV world, yeah? Our protagonist, <laughs> <laughs> Jack, he's um, he's been asked to read a letter at a funeral for a gentleman he didn't know, quite frankly. And this gentleman lived in the retirement estate and he pretty much sat in his porch and kind of tended to his garden, but never got involved. And the reason he never got involved was because he lost his wife um, and he was waiting to join her. So effectively lived in the sort of retirement estate waiting room. And at the end, right at the end, when he actually does get sick himself and he's about to pass on, he realizes what an absolute mess he's made of the last kind of 10 years of his life. And he writes this letter, which my character, Jack, needs to read out. And the idea is he wants to tell people to not make the mistake that he did. To, if, you, if you're still healthy and you still have years ahead of you, to definitely go out there and live your life. So when Jack reads this letter out to the funeral congregation, it inspires his four closest friends to come together and for them to go and address issues in their life. So it's a pretty, it's kind of, you know, I like to write stories that move and inspire people. Um, there's, there's a degree of sadness, obviously, along the way, but it's also a bit of a comedy and some of the antics they get up to and so on. So I'm hoping it's an entertaining story that can appeal to, you know, elderly people, but middle-aged people like yeah. myself and younger people. Yeah, maybe across the <coughs> across the Atlantic. Who knows, you might get a call from an oldie in an old age home somewhere in the States. <laughs> Who knows? And, and I'm thinking there's capital in older people, isn't there? You know, Hotel Marigold, the best hotel Marigold. And there's been a whole slew of films about older people. Well, I mean, absolutely. And I'm, I'm amazed that, you know, this hasn't been happening for the last 15 or 20 years. I think, you know, as I get older, and it sounds ridiculous, but I'm at this point where, I, I, well, I've loved playing football my whole life, but I'm now at a point where I seriously have to look at giving it up. And and I know it's it's not the same thing, but I'm now at a stage where things that I used to be able to do, well, I can't really do them so well anymore. And there's some sadness in that. So it's very rich territory to to write about people in their senior years. So I, I think The Last Road Trip, in fact, would make for a very kind of emotional and very evocative film because of the beautiful landscapes as well that they drive through. I mean, and yeah. who would you cast as Jack? Gee, I don't know. How. <laughs> I, I know who I'd I know who I'd cast as Sam, who's who's um, a elderly black gentleman. That's that's obviously there's only one person who played that role. And that's Morgan Freeman. <laughs> but I don't know so much about Jack. I've actually given it some thought. But um, let's hope I'm I'm in the position one day where exactly. someone will surprise me. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> Gareth. Lovely. Thank you very much. Going to leave it at that because I think if anybody wants to know more and, and sort of enjoy the adventure, they must just simply pick up the book and uh, read for themselves. Lovely. I've no doubt we'll speak again. And in the meantime, happy. Uh, superheroing, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I have two very different worlds. Thanks very much. Excellent. Nancy. You take Cheers. care. Thanks a lot. Gareth Crocker, and uh, the book once again is called The Last Road Trip, and it's published by Penguin. And uh, we will give out all the details of, of all the books and publishers, etc., right at the end of the show. So stay with us. It's SFM Literature.
Well, next up is book club time here on uh, on SFM Literature, where we find out about a player in the book industry, whether they're reading or writing or whatever it is they may be doing. And don't forget, if there's an area that you're involved in that you'd like to share info with us on, uh, let us know. Pop us a mail, books at safm.co.za, books at safm.co.za. Well, today our book club member is Kaohelo, and, uh, who is director of Kajeno Media, who is going to tell us all about a very innovative sounding project. It's a digital project. It's called Long Story Short. So as I understand it, it's all about the reading of short stories in libraries where they can be heard as well and seen. But we've got uh, Kaohelo on the line. Hi there. Hi there. Can you hear Thank me? Thank you very much for having me on the show. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Hopefully you're going to keep the long story short or maybe the short story long. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> give, give us the background to the thinking behind this. It sounds like a really good idea, bringing stories to people or orally, but just explain. Well, um, basically the idea is that uh, we have readings in public libraries um, by a capable performer. They could be an actor or a musician. And we record those stories for, um, for, 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 for packaging on, on mobile and online platforms. So they're reading stories that have been written. Yes, these are stories that were curated by award-winning writer Yewande Omotosho. So she's also part of the project. Okay. And um, she, she facilitated the links with writers um, on the continent, African writers on the continent and the diaspora. And we have a selection of 24 stories that are going to be read as part of the series. Oh, that's interesting. Has she included her own book? What was um, uh, Bomboy? But, no, but they have to be um, short stories. No, actually, um, the curation, uh, the curation um, um, includes short stories, bits of flash, flash fiction, and excerpts from, from novels. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, not only short stories. Okay. So has she done, well, obviously she's done a huge amount of reading to find the pieces, but yeah. has is, is the curation been done? Has she got a, a series already ready to roll, or can people still give their ideas if there are... Um, well, as part of this launch phase, um, our, our, our entire collection has been set in stone. So we have a really exciting selection of stories from um, African writers from all over the continent and the diaspora, as I've said. Um, Tupio Mahala stories included Pendai Huchu, Ver Veronique Tajo, Monique Kwachu, Rinele Malaji. It's really a wide selection. The best thing about it is that it's also bringing, you know, people who either haven't got the wherewithal to buy a book or are not interested in buying books, it's bringing those stories directly to the people. So the stories are being read where? In libraries, I think. Um, as part of this um, initial phase, we are starting off with the city of Tuane. Um So we're doing readings in community libraries in the city of Tuane because that's a partnership that that managed to, you know, um, be solidified timelessly. Mm. So for now, it's community libraries in the, within the city of Tuane. But we're hoping to roll out nationally, depending on the interest from, you know, the heads of library services around the country. Okay. We are 
talking to uh, Hello Dubey, who's the director of Kajeno Media, and she's been telling us about Long Story Short, which is a project whereby um, well-known people, or certainly actors or musicians, get to read stories. Hello, um, Hello, uh, sorry. I believe that the last at the last reading, I think this is right, was uh, Shlubi Mboya was reading a book. Um, yes, um, at our launch event, which happened this Friday on the 27th of yes. March, um, Shubin Boya read Cynthia Nozizwe Jelle's story, short story tender. And how did it, how was it received? I mean, it was, it was well received. Unfortunately, um, you know, we got a, a bit of a younger crowd, so it, it just seemed like the story went over their heads. So moving forward, what we've learned is that um, we'll have to do a bit of outreach in the neighboring high schools and, and, and uh, higher, higher learning centers within the community that we're activating. Okay, well, it's all, of, it's all a learning curve, isn't it? Yeah. Tell yeah. us the story of Tender. What was it that it, when you say a younger crowd, I mean, you're talking school children, I mean, even young school children. Yeah, tiny tots. We had tiny tots. Oh. Um, but, um, yeah. yeah, you not, know, not, not because they're audience. the ones who actually are using the libraries more than the older yeah. bunch. Hmm. Funny but, enough, because there's, there's, there's space for them to play. So, yeah, we find that um, the younger kids are coming to the libraries more than the older ones, which which presents a challenge. And, yeah, we'll take the challenge on. Well, I guess it's a challenge. I guess it's also an opportunity. Um, maybe Definitely. you need to be, maybe you need to have uh, two target audiences: the the tiny tots who you know equally are one wants to encourage them, and then try for the older lot. But it, uh, it's interesting that you know it's the little ones who are really coming to the libraries, and I wonder at what point the older ones stop coming to the libraries. And the story, but just tell us about the story, Tender. What what was the story? Well, um, it's uh, as I said, it's Cynthia's Cynthia Jealous story. Um, the, the, the writer of happiness is a four-letter word. So she wrote a story which she says was inspired by um, a radio show she was listening to when she was driving to work where people were actually talking about the extent, the extent people go to to secure tenders. I mean, you know, she said that what really a story that caught her imagination was uh, a caller called into the radio station saying that a friend of his actually, you know, sacrificed his wife to you know to secure a tender because the person who was giving out the tender was interested in in his wife and you know he had a conversation with his wife like darling if you want us to have this money uh you're gonna have to speak with this guy you yeah yeah so, so you know so that's the story so it's you know she was raising the moral dilemma that um yeah. this culture of you know, tendering is, is presenting to society that now people are just, you know, they'll they'll go to any length to secure the millions. Yeah. So it's it's a very relevant story in that sense, you know. It's a very relevant story to a certain age group, certainly not tiny top material. Exactly. It must exactly. have been quite unnerving for Shruby to be, you know, to be trying to sort of reach these children with this particular story. Just coming back to the, the art of reading the stories, I mean, Shruby is looks fabulous she, i'm sure she would have done a wonderful job have you yeah. chosen actors or musicians who who have a, a natural ability to you know, engage people by telling a story um yes i mean firstly we capitalized on uh, on on personal relationships you know so Suvi is a friend of mine and she's you know she's 
a friend of the company. So, you know, we had to work with um, personal relationships as a start, but within those personal relationships, we had to work with people who, who, who had the energy to hold yeah. the performance. And we also worked with a theater director because as much as, um, you know, Sudi's a capable performer, her, her strength lies in TV, which is a different space because right now when the readings are straddling, um, you know, uh, live performance and acting. So we thought it was very important to bring in a theater director. We brought in um, Dadi Tulo, who's a, a drama lecturer at, at the Twani University of Technology, to support the actors prior to their performances. What about uh, Yowande Omotosho herself? Could she not read them? Um, I mean, we're trying to reach youth in townships. So yeah. we have to go for people they know. You know, um, yeah. so... As much as we know who Yewande is as readers, as people who love African literature, young people are more exposed to the people that they see on TV. But we have also, you know, we're introducing um, other performance, other, other able performers who have a stronger theater background. For example, next month, Mbali Khosidinzi, who is a strong theater actress, will be reading Nick Msongo's short story. And where is that going to happen? That is going to happen at Hamanskral Community Library okay. on the 25th of April. Okay, so can anybody come along? Yes, I mean, we, we're trying to capture the, you know, we're trying to capture the kids who live within that um, radius of the community library, but the more the merrier. Anybody's yeah. welcome. So they're not closed off to be, I mean, if you're driving from Joburg, it's not like we're going to close you out. Yeah. So, but, you know, we're trying to push these kids into the community libraries because I actually came across an alarming statistic through equal education that only 92% of our public schools have, uh, have school libraries. So we have a big problem. If these kids don't have school libraries, where do they access books? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, so it's a good 92%, only 92, uh, or at least 92% of schools don't have don't libraries. Don't have. Yeah. No, that's a huge, that's, that's a huge number. That is a very huge number. And I know that there are a number of organizations who are doing their very best to make sure they get libraries. Yeah. Uh, down yeah, here in Cape yeah. Town, you probably know the Book Lounge does their very best to, every year they raise funds and books to start yes. a library in a particular school. So there's a lot of work to do. Um, but there is. The, the objective then is to get the young people into the libraries. The other objective, presumably, is not just to get them in so that they can listen to a story, um, see somebody famous, you know, reading the story, but also presumably to, you know, get them get them interested in, in reading books as well. Exactly, particularly African literature, you know, and also to expose them to the possibility of a career opportunity in literature, you know. Because I would imagine that they would have some stories of their own to tell. Exactly, exactly. How do you follow it up, Hello, Do you do you sit there, you know, while the story is being told? How long does it take? Do you keep tabs? Well, I mean, it's it's the first one and you had a bunch of little yeah. ones, so it would, would have been quite difficult. But yeah. your intention is to do what? Listen to, watch them as they're hearing the story and then what? Well, the intention is to record the story so yeah. that they are, the, the story is available to a wider audience. 
and also the intention is to sustain them in coming back to their community library. So after a reading, we give the librarian at the said library an opportunity to also talk about what happens within that library on a regular basis so that they can come back and, and, and you know, interact with their, with their local library. And the plan with the recorded stories is to do what? Um, the plan with the recorded stories is that they will be available on mobile and online platforms. Uh, we will have all the um, social plugins from our website, which is um, www.gajenumedia.com, and um, one can access um, the podcast through our website. So what we're going to do is that after every reading, we will um, have... It will probably take us five to seven days to package the, prop, the podcast and then it will be communicated that the podcast is available. Okay, so is, is the one that Hlubi uh, did, is that already up on the website? Uh, it is still being edited and it will be available by the 5th of April. Okay, so uh, yeah. so let me get my dates right. By the 5th of April, the one that Hlubi Mboya did will be the be reading of Tender, yes. when it sounds very interesting, um, especially mm -hmm. if you're not, you know, four years old. Uh, so that yes. will be up on the website on the 5th of April. And the, the next reading is at the Hammanskral Library, and that's on the 25th of April. That's correct. Okay, at what time? 11. 11 a.m. So... So moving forward, our launch happened on a Friday afternoon, but that was just because it was a media launch. But moving forward, we will have one reading a month in a, in a community library within the city of Tswane at 11, um, at, at 11 in the morning. Okay. And people on a will, Saturday morning. And people will be able to go to your website and find out where the next one is? Yes. Okay, it's happening in the city of Swanee now, but will it, is the long-term plan to take it around the country? Definitely. I mean, all these things really depend on funding and um, who gets involved. So, yeah, we are hoping to, we are already talking to the city of Ekurileni. Um, they seem to be interested. So, I mean, the whole idea is to have, you know, all of these lights on at the same time in community libraries. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely yeah. get you. Just lastly, um, the Kajeno Media, what else do you do? Well, um, I'm actually, by, by training, I'm a brand strategist. So I worked in strategic planning and market research in the advertising industry. And I left to add my skill set to the, to the art sector. So a lot of programming kind of work, um, working with festivals, cons um, consulting on content, particularly pan-African content, across mm. all the disciplines within the arts and culture sector. Well, interesting that you've uh, brought all your skills and talents towards helping people read and uh, enjoy African literature. Oh, hello, thank you very much. Very best of luck. And uh, hopefully the next one you'll have a slightly older age group. Oh, we'll <laughs> do our best. <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> lots of fun. Good luck. Thanks very much. Take Thanks, Nancy. Cheers. Oh, hello, Dubey, and she's the director of Kajeno Media. Well, if you'd like to go along to the next one, in your, if you're in the city of Swanee, Hammond's Kral Library is where the next one's happening. It's on the 25th of April. It's at 11 o'clock, and the project is called Long Story Short. So if you want to check out all the details, the bigger picture, check their website, which is Kajeno Media. That's K-A-J-E-N-O Media.
kajenomedia.com. Stay with us because right now or next up, we're going to be talking about filling in forms in your language of choice. Stay tuned. Richards. And around about this time on SFM Literature, it's time when we have a look at text, where we look at uh, the written word in whatever form, one way or another. And this text uh, issue was triggered actually by an email from listener Andy Miller, who said, Hi Nancy, I just received this message from Futi in Chingila today. My property management company just sent me forms to fill in in Afrikaans, and it seems that it has to do with land claims. I just called them for a Zulu or English form, and they say that these forms were distributed by Afri Forum in Afrikaans only. So thanks very much, Andy, for sending that. And we thought we'd find out if the, what's, what's the story here. Is it possible that forms could be only in one language? So we thought we'd find out a little bit more from PANSOL, which is the Pan-South African Language Board, from whom we have the chairman, Professor Mbulungeni um, Madiba. Uh, hi, Professor. Professor Madiba, are you there? Hello. Hello. Well, hopefully we're going to get him on the line. I, I think he is on the line. I think we just uh, need to try and get him through. But we also have a former board member of the uh, Pan-South African Language Board. He's also head of African Studies at UKZN, Professor Shihau Ngubani. Hi, Professor. Shihau, are you there? Okay. I'm not sure what's what the problem is but we're hopefully going to try and get them uh, both on the line but i think it's it is an issue if you have been if there's something particular that you need to do uh, i mean it, it may be um it may be a, a property uh, a land claim form that you have to fill in equally it may be um it may be any other sort of particular form you know and you may be under some sort of stress so to be trying to fill in that form in another language uh, could really be could all create all sorts of problems so we're trying to get our two professors on the line to give some thoughts on that I mean I would have thought that uh, that it's very unlikely that the forms would only be in Afrikaans uh, I would I would have thought so perhaps you've got some experience on that and if you'd like to let us know you can give us a call 0892 10 2010 or maybe you should rather call 0891 104 207 because Albert's busy using our phone to try and get the professors back 0891 104 207 maybe you had issues trying to fill in a form and as we know form filling in can be very full of red tape it can be very full of the sort of language that you don't usually use on a daily basis so that doubles the problem doubles the issue Give us a call if you've got form filling in issues and you would rather have a form uh, in your own language, 0891 104207. Well, it seems that we have Professor, uh, Professor Ngobani on the line. Professor, uh, hi, Professor Ngobani. Hi, good afternoon to you. Very nice to have you with us. I believe that you were formerly a board member of the Pan-South African Language Board, so language obviously is something very dear to your heart, particularly as head of African studies there at UKZN. Um, is this something that you've come across? You, you might have missed my introduction there, but what we're talking about is the issue of somebody was trying to had received a whole lot of forms that to do with land claims, and they were in Afrikaans only. And when she said, could she have them either in Zulu or in English, it seems that they were distributed by Afri Forum and they were available in Afrikaans only. What's your feeling on that? Uh, my feeling is that uh, it is against the Bill of Rights because linguistic rights is... Hello? Hello? Um, okay. 
Now, I think, have I got Professor Madiba on the line? Yes, yes, Professor Madiba on the line. Okay, okay. Uh, we seem to have lost our Professor Ngobani, but hopefully we'll be able to get him back and we can get the, the two of you at the same time. Okay. Um, okay. As chair of the Pan-South African Language Board, the issue of forms not being in the language of your choice, what is the problem there? Is it, is it not mandatory that all forms should be available in all of our languages? Yeah, no, thank, thanks, I think, thanks for, for having me on, 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 on in your station. Um, you know, they, as you know, the role of PENSAR is to create conditions for, for the use and development of all official languages. Mm. And of course, translation is one of those areas that I think the board needs to promote. That we, you know, all, whatever happens in one language, for example, if the forms are written. Hello? We seem to be having a little bit of a problem here. Are either of Professors Ngobani or Madiba there? Hello? Hello? Hi, hi, Nancy. How are you? I'm fine. Is this now Professor Ngobani? Yes, it's Professor Ngobani. Sure. I was still trying to say that uh, that practice is against the human rights and our Bill of Rights that uh, everyone should have access to. Okay, uh, I think we're going to have to go with um, one or the other. Perhaps we should try to get um, Professor Madiba back again because he's the chairman of the Pan-South African Language Board um, and I know Albert's going to try and get him back again. It certainly seems like uh, in terms of the Bill of Rights, you should be able to get any form in any language but I can imagine that there may be some sort of cost implication here I mean if you're having to produce um, forms of, you know many many pages in several different languages in all different languages that's going to be a huge cost implication so we'll see what can be done there um, I'm not going to give out our phone number once again because I think we're having phone trouble so let's see what we can if we can get Professor Mbulungeni Madiba back on the line he's the chair of Pansalb and if you'd like to get hold of them I think their website is Pansalb P-A-N S-A-L-B.C. Yes. Oh, Professor Madiba. I'm back. Yeah. Yes, okay. I'm back. Sorry, sorry. I no, don't no, know what happened to the no, line. No, no, okay. no. We, we're just battling to get both of you at the same time. I think that's the problem. Yeah. So, it, according to the Bill of Rights, you should be able to, you should be able to get a, any form in any language. Yeah, I think we can look at it from, from, from the right perspective. That, you know, people have, you know, according to the Bill of Rights, everyone has the right to access information mm. you know in the language that they, they they could understand better so from that perspective i think uh, the the person that you have mentioned we the person should have been served in the in the in the, in the language that he can uh, he or she can understand better okay but if it's yes. simply not available i mean i'm not having a go particularly at afro forum but it seems that these particular forms were available in afrikaans only what what should what should the person do? Should they uh, complain? Should they wait till a form has been translated specially for them? How does it work? Yes, you see, the, the constitution is very clear. All languages first must be treated equitably, not necessarily equally, but language should be treated equitably. And then the users themselves also have got the rights. So in this case, if a person wants to access information, and that information is not available in the language that the person wants, uh, that person can lodge a complaint. We also have a complaint uh, directorate at Pensal. Okay. That person can also lead, lodge a complaint, which is a violation of uh, that person's linguistic rights. 
You know, just speaking in defense of whatever organization it may be, to produce forms in all our official languages must be a very costly affair. Uh, how does one overcome that? You see, thanks up, um, you know, we, we promote a principle of uh, functional multilingualism. Mm -hmm. Functional multilingualism means you, you don't have necessarily to produce all the forms for, for everything. You, you, you only cater for the needs in that particular context. For example, if you are in a province which you know that you, you know, there are three major languages, that province will make sure that uh, forms are available in those three major languages. And fortunately, most of the regions, if you look at most of our provinces, you will see that they can function with three or four languages, except in how they, you know. So some of these things can be done. I think it's just a question of uh, having uh, the, the, the will to do that. And are there, I mean, should there then be, you know, if if the forms aren't available and perhaps it's urgent, should is it possible for somebody to say, well, can you get me in a translator? Yeah, you see, I think we translation is a very important tool that we should be using. Mm. It's not really, first, it's possible to translate anything into African languages. You know that the constitution has been translated into all the languages. So I can't see any, any document that cannot be translated into African languages. The only issue, of course, that you've raised, the issue of course, you know, but I think if you are concluding uh, documents like this, which are very critical to people, which have got legal or litigation implications, if they're not properly uh, uh, filled. So I think that company should be, even if Afro Forum, should really go to an extent of an uh, extra mile to, to get those documents accessible in English and in Susulu. Yes, we should perhaps try to get Afri Forum on the on the line at a later stage. We won't try and do it now. We've been having troubles with the yeah. phone. But, you know, to, in their defence, they may have something to say. Um, you know, but yeah. the other point I was making is that very often with form filling in, it can be in a very particular language. It can be very official or full of red tape. Sometimes, even if it's your own language, it can be hard to understand. So if you do get in somebody to translate it for you, th the chances of it being slightly misinterpreted are very high. Yeah, you see, unfortunately, I mean, you know, uh, translation is never perfect, but uh, there are processes that can be followed to make it more perfect. You can get editors, if, if it's done on time, then the document has been sent to editors, some people, other people to look at it. We do have people who can ensure that what is in the document is captured in the translated document. So I understand what you're saying, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, it can be done. I yeah. think we can improve the quality on that, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm yeah. just wondering, I wonder how many people know about you. Do you get complaints? I mean, I had a look at your website. Do, is there a sort of a, um, a, a part where you can lodge your complaint and something can happen about it quite quickly? What's the procedure? And do you get many complaints? Yes, we they, see that you, you learn, we, we, we have a, a, a linguistic human rights division at Pensal. Which, uh, which deals with uh, linguistic uh, 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 human rights violation. So, so if, if anyone has got, has got, has got a, a complaint, so if you go to our website, you just make sure that you go to the correct one because we've got two websites. Okay. I don't have the address with me here. They, then you, you load your complaint or you can just phone our, our offices and then find out how you can lodge the complaint that you have got a linguistic uh, violation uh, complaint. So once that is reviewed, that's not in, then the, the, the organization will take it forward. Okay. We, we had, we, we used to have many in the past, 
But now, I think the number of uh, complaints that we receive are really uh, reducing. Okay. Um, yes. Professor Madiba, we're going to try and find your, uh, your correct website before the end of the program yes, yeah. and give out those details. But I think that we, okay. I'm going to say goodbye because I think we do have the Professor Ngobane on the line. So I'm going to okay. say goodbye to you and thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot. Okay. okay. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thanks. Okay. Professor okay. Shihawu Ngobane, Head of African Studies, also formerly board member of PANSALB. Um, uh, Professor Ngobane, are you there? Yes, here. Yes, Thank you. hi, sorry, we, we've been having phone troubles. Um, I think that the point that you were making was that it's in the Bill of Rights that you should be able to have forms in whatever language you want. But as somebody, you know, who's head of African studies, do you, do you think people know their rights? Do you think people are taking up the, the opportunity that they have to complain? Uh, yes and no, because some people do not have access to information which is on its own a violation of human rights because people should know their rights, they should know what uh, what limitations are there in, in each and every right because as we understand rights, they, are, they always have uh, limitations and, uh, and there is a biasness in how we interpret them. So some people do not know that they have a right uh, to access information in the language of choice. Is there a body, whether it's PANSALB or any other body, is there a body that w one can go to to say, help me, um, or, or would it only be PANSALB? I mean, there you are at UKZN. Is there a sort of department of translation that one could come and get help from? Well, in fact, in our institution, we have a course on translation and interpretation, and we assist the communities around Guazulu-Natal. But uh, going back to earlier uh, suggestion, the Pan-African language is spread across nine provinces. So each and every province has got an office, uh, which is a pan-substructure where people can go uh, for their needs, like of interpreting and uh, the complaints of the violation of this linguistic right. So they are visible in all nine provinces and. They are there, and if people can access the website of Pensac, they'll catch either the provincial offices which are around. So people must be aware of that, and I think we must do advocacy to people to make use of these offices. Yeah, yes, indeed. Professor uh, Ngubani, thank you very much. We're going to leave it at that. We're, um, we're out of time, but we are going to get hold of that uh, website. And I think that a lot of people are perhaps not aware of their rights, and uh, there is help to hand. So thank you very much. And thank you to Andy Miller for forwarding that, uh, that uh, problem, because I'm sure it's an issue that a lot of people are confronted with and just don't know what to do. But right now, you're listening to SFM Literature. It's